0: Morena and welcome to The Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey, this is my daily podcast that goes out with an email newsletter via the Kaka and Substack. Today I wanted to talk about the turnout in the weekend's election. I've calculated from the enrolment and the turnout figures produced by the Electoral Commission that there were about a million people 1.06 million people to be specific who were eligible to vote but either chose to not enroll to vote and there's about 360,000 of those which is illegal by the way and well over 600,000 people who enrolled but did not vote that's not illegal this is a bigger number than at the last election. There was a surge in turnout at the last election, despite all the dramas with COVID, or perhaps because of all the dramas with COVID. And the turnout rates, so as a percentage of those enrolled, but also those who were enrolled as a percentage of the eligible population dropped from over 77% to more like 72% of the eligible population. The key thing here though is that that was not evenly spread over age groups and uh, various demographics within society. We know from uh, surveys from the last three elections that uh, people over the age of 60 vote at much higher rates than those under the age of 40. We know that just 1% of those people over the age of 60 have not enrolled. Whereas we know that over 20% of people under the age of 40 have not enrolled. And then the voting rates of those who have enrolled are significantly higher. For people over the age of 60 than they are for those under the age of 40. And in this election we don't actually know the breakdown by demographics or age group for who voted but we do now have the numbers of actually of those people who voted, how many were enrolled and what the population is. So we can tell there was a, a lower voting rate and we know from some surveys done before the election that younger people were less likely to vote than they were at the previous elections so uh, when you look at it there's around about a half a million at least young people who are not voting we also know that compared to the last election it was just over 180,000 people who would have voted if they if their voting rates had been the same in 2023 as in 2020 and 180,000 is around about five or six MPs worth so if those people had all voted for one particular party uh, they would have changed the election results and obviously with a million missing voters Um, that would completely transform the political landscape if they were to vote what we have at the moment is a gerontocracy a democracy run by and for people who are older people who are land and homeowners there is a democratic deficit by which members of our society are not represented and their interests are not represented and therefore their situations are not being improved. In fact there's a direct correlation between who people are, what they own and how they vote and we can see that even though there is a very large number of young people now if all those people who were young and who rented, voted. They would overwhelm those people over the age of 60 who voted and who own land and property at much higher rates. This, of course, is the tragedy of our democracy and um, forces me to think in a Kaka Project way about the sorts of solutions that we could come up with. I've put a question into today's email asking subscribers to come up with a few ideas, but I've got a few. I've been thinking about this for a while and have talked about it with a few people over the years. So essentially our problem is one of engagement, compulsion, education, and uh, 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 reducing some of the frictions uh, we currently have towards voting. I think shifting the voting age from 18 to 16 is a good idea and not just for the sort of obvious reason of, of having more young people vote but because if you combined it with making the topic of civics education a compulsory topic for people in their last three years of school you could effectively make make the first council vote and the first general election vote part of the school curriculum so what I'm talking about here is uh, you have a civics course or subject which everyone has to take and the result or the exam or the proof of um, completing is to actually vote in both a council election and a general election. Remember there are two of those elections every three years so in that let's say that th- that three-year period from the age of 15 to 18 you would have someone vote in a council election and a general election while they're at school and after a process of education uh, uh, through the school system so with an approved curriculum of course we don't want teachers um, telling kids how to vote or um, forcing them to vote in any particular way you'd have to be careful about that but you could argue it's not that much different to what we have at the moment with parents it also um, creates a much more active and widespread process for civic engagement and for uh, democratic involvement Uh, it is a responsibility of citizenship to um, be involved uh, but it would be great to have a lot more um, structural and institutional help for people who are doing it in a way that's fair, unquestionable widespread and free I think, also, there is an opportunity to make not just enrolment but voting compulsory. And that um, would bring us not quite in line with Australia. Australia's enrolment is not compulsory but voting is, from my understanding. Uh, I would also not be making uh, voting and enrolment. Uh, effectively part of the legal system, i.e. illegal. Um, Sure you could make it compulsory but uh, as a carrot rather than a stick you could offer cash payments to everyone who votes, let's say it's $100. With people having their second and subsequent votes um, given the opportunity to donate that $100 to some form of registered charity However, that first vote, I think, is very crucial. And all the studies show that if someone votes at their first opportunity after the age of 18, they are much more likely to vote in subsequent years and elections. If you get them early and you get them started, they continue. Getting people to start voting in their late 20s and onwards is very hard. It's very hard to get hold of them. It's very hard to educate them and um, it's just hard. We also know that um, for a lot of people who are 18 and beyond, they have left school. They are hard to contact. Uh, An address and a landline is something that young people don't have these days. They have mobile phones, they couch surf, they are regularly moving. They are hard for anyone official or anyone really, to contact in any sort of structured or useful way. That's why reaching people while they're at school, ensuring they're enrolled, ensuring they vote, ensuring they have the education, having an incentive and getting them started is so crucial. Finally, I'm not a fan of online voting. One of the go-to solutions people go go for with the issue of uh, um, low voting rates amongst the young, is to say, oh, well, just make it online, and because that's easy, they'll do it. Sometimes friction is actually a good thing. And uh, one of the uh, problems I think with um, low engagement, low turnout, is not so much the ease of the actual vote, it's the lack of engagement and the lack of discussion, the lack of awareness, the lack of education. That takes time and it takes effort and commitment and structure and involvement and uh, simply creating an online voting process doesn't solve that problem. I think there should be uh, a much more uniform and uh, useful process for both local and central government elections run by the Electoral Commission which has uh, voting in person as we've seen with general elections for both local and general elections and that you have periods as we've had in the last couple of elections of longer periods where people can vote before uh, the voting day and physical voting places. I'm personally a fan of the idea of voting as a community activity so sausage sizzles bouncy castles the whole thing so um i don't think online voting is the solution i'm bernard hickey that was my chorus here today on monday october the 16th it is great to see you on this pop-up hoon i'm bernard hickey and
1: Peter Bale and Josie Pagania are with us. Peter, how are you? We're on I'm very good, thank you, over here on the mainland. And Bernard, this is your first of the carcass from uh Karkaville, from from your little little home in Waiheke. Your new little yes. home in Waiheke. Your batch. That's right, so my batch, But actually yeah. home. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is actually where we're gonna be living. And it's just the most amazing thing to get up in the morning and hear the bird song. And there are Kaka, and there are Tui, and oh, for those there? people who who are true tragics and listen into the podcast this morning, you will have heard the background. Mm-hmm. And I've I've worked out there's a a route around the backyard where I can walk and talk at the same time. You know, I'm one of those Good. people who who likes to. You know, when you're on the phone and you you just have to pace. That's you, that's you did me, it really so. well,
1: actually. But I, I, speaking of lunatics, I, I was seeing a friend of mine who was repairing his yacht in one of those sort of you know, little places that New Zealand only New Zealand has really on the hard and a whole bunch of men, you know try trying to triumph over the forces of um of algae and um and slime. Um, but he said it was it was a terrific podcast. Now look p- we've also got Josie who is
2: Peter before you finish that just yes. a little aside when you're talking about sailing, um... Jesus,
1: we don't we don't do peregrinations and and sides sides here. Go ahead. <laughs> don't long this is good.
2: This little aside is um, that John, my husband, is at, at this moment sailing halfway across the ocean from Numia to Australia oh, with wow. David Shearer, the former leader of the Labour oh, really? Party. Really? Oh, my goodness. Which I think is hysterical that the former chief press secretary of the Labour Party, John Pagani, and the former leader of the Labour Party, David Shearer, have got about as far away as they possibly could from this election. <laughs> and yeah, I asked they've, so
1: they've probably they, got a Starlink and they're probably keeping up. No. With
2: it. They have they do they have a satellite but they only turned it on for the rugby this morning and not for the election, which It's been some rugby.
1: Jesus, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. So so, so does look, that this, mean this that is this is the morning this is the afternoon after the after the after the after the evening before. That's right. Um, so does that mean we that, that John and don't, David don't are, know the result?
2: They they do, of the rugby. Um and I got a, then a secondary text to ask me about the election. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm,
0: so I'm really great. curious I'm really curious, how did you respond with your text?
2: Ah, that's an interesting question, Bernard. So how did you I compact like, all like, of the news
0: into a text?
2: Basically, um, I, I they had actually looked at some of the results online, but my response was uh, it's the it, it was the result that we expected.
1: Mm, yeah, mm. No, it's, it's, it's well, right. actually, yes. So the other night, so let, let me let me take over for a minute and then flick it flick it to you guys. So we appear to have a national government or a national led government in prospect. There's going to be a lot of complications of that, which I'm going to flick to you. We also have a resurgent. And, you know, we must think pretty remarkable resurgence by Wiz- by Winston Peters and New Zealand First. And we also appear to have a remarkable resurgence by the Greens. Um, what looks like three, four parliamentary seats, is it, has it been at Auckland? Auckland three Central, probably, stage, yeah. probably Wellington Central, and possibly Rongatai, correct? Yeah, you know, well, I think they're really all pretty, yeah, they absolutely... And yeah. Like being, mm. yeah. And two of them are well-known uh, friends of friends of the car, of the Hoon podcast. Um, well, this is the thing: if you come on the Hoon, you're bound to win your your electorate. Mm.
2: Yeah. yeah, probably yeah. not in my case.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> let's let's go now, Bernard. You've you did a fabulous thing this morning. Your your sort of early morning, you know, walk around, probably weeing in every corner of your new <laughs> property. Um, like I, I was, always, there's a, there's a line in in. in um, in Shedbolt, Morris Shadbolt's wonderful book, um, oh
2: my stepfather!
1: Oh, is he really? step- Good hmm. lord! Um, oh my goodness! Uh, in in one of his larger books, the really enormous one, which is going to is going to come back to me, um, of talk, talking two. about talking about man leaving his ste- steaming signature upon the earth. And I think he was talking about the uruweras, but you've presumably done that today in each corner of your of your property in White Ah, uh, not,
0: not quite that, but I certainly have enjoyed the walk <laughs> around and feeling. And I did it with no shoes on, so I could feel the 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 grass on my feet, which made excellent. me feel very good.
1: And excellent. Um, All right, sorry. So Bernard, okay. you 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 at the risk of turning this into a um, into a property rather than a politics thing, although as you say this, it's it's essentially um you know uh. Uh, one and the same. The you know um, one roof is is effectively the political section of the New Zealand Herald. Um, <laughs> Bernard, you're you're probably three um, three hundred thousand or so better off today. You believe because there's been something like a twenty percent increase in house prices. You believe, yeah. but that yes. anything <laughs> approximate to, to two million is now two million. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Well, this is the thing,
0: um, which is. You know, the headline, I suppose, and you're right, we shouldn't make it always about house prices and interest rates. No, but
1: but, you've made a career of it. Yeah, yeah. My
0: my headline of today's result is, uh, I think, that this morning, uh, now that we know that there is going to be a National Act government of some form, possibly with New Zealand First as a rider on the side... um, then with the repeal of interest deductibility, the um, movement of Brightline back from 10 years to two years and essentially an end to significant growth in housing supply, at least for a year or two, while, while National turns the taps off and has a look at Congo order and decides not to send any money to the councils for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and while migration keeps on powering ahead at 110000 a year, Um, then, you know, that is high rents, high house prices. And I think there's been a a, a, a sort of a a log jam of house sales that would have gone through normally, but people decided to wait until the election. Mm -hmm. They also weren't happy about selling for less than their CV. But when the market clears, there's going to be a lot of volume going through, and I think it's going to create a little bit of a boomlet through November and early December, to the point where I think the Reserve Bank might just might intervene and, frankly, uh, give the new national government the fingers by putting up interest rates another mm-hmm. uh, twenty-five basis points just to just to tell everyone in the housing market to tie ho. So um, that's where I am on on housing, and. Uh, and I think to Winston Peters, his role, and he d- will definitely not necessarily be in the government. I think he, it's more likely to be some sort of supplying. Will be of the agreement. government. He's
1: not in the government, but he might be off the government.
0: <laughs> no, no, he's he's like a he's like a the writer
1: agreement. You know, um, yes, semi-detached.
0: You must, semi-detached.
1: That's nice. <laughs> Josie, what's and, what's your take? I mean, I, you 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 are a stronger sort of. You know, Bernard's got the got the economic eco eco housing connection, economic housing connection. What's what's your take? This this you know, a day after the election now.
2: Uh, well, the, the thing I realised waking up this morning, having done the sort of TV live TV coverage last night, you know, where, where you're interpreting what's happening as it's happening, is that we're not yet at the finish line. So, um, it, it, it's more probable, I think, that Nationals' vote will drop a little bit. Um, Labour could gain a little, but that's not. You're right, Bernard. That's not really going to change the fact that we now have, um, uh, you know, we have a huge tide for change. I mean, I, I, I was doing the numbers this morning. It's, it's really only a third of New Zealanders who have voted for anything resembling a left party. So if you if you add, you know, Labour, Greens, Party, Maori together, it's only a third. So. Um, you know, there is certainly that tide for change, that right track, wrong track um, statistic that's been consistent and rising for the last year um, is always the most reliable indicator of what's going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the big question, I mean, the, golly, we can go through some of the seats that are just shocking, like some of the um, seats that have been lost mm-hmm. for Labour Um and as you said, the wins for the Greens, for the party Māori, the, the Māori seats. I mean, I was with um, Julian Wilcox and Money Dunlop last night on the TV. We'd come off air and just sit in the green room and we'd all just look at each other and go, What the hell just happened? This is incredible. Um but yeah, I I, I think that I think New Zealand First will be will be given a role in the government, and I think that's what national should do. do.
1: Do do you mean to is that just to give national a bit of a bit of extra weight or is it to give them to shut them up in a and also have him inside the tent pissing out, not both. to go back to people urinating both. in their tent out yeah. of their tents. But
2: enough of your urinating, boys! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry,
1: <laughs> it's always about the willies when it comes down to it. It's always it's about, about the, willies. the willies.
2: Yeah, um I I, 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 think both both are right, Peter. That um, it, you know, if you look at what John Key successfully did in the last national government, he he had agreements with the Green Party as well mm. as the Māori Party, as it was then, um, and you know. Um, I hope that Christopher Luxon, who's been out of the country for a hell of a long time, understands the the last twenty years and, and in terms of our relation, our treaty relationship with Māori and and, you know, can look at the former national government and go, well, hold on a minute, this is a national government that brought it's in to yeah. um, that, that actually introduced the settlement process, the Waitangi settlement process. Um, people like Chris Finlayson, um, you know, th- these are people who have a deep understanding of what our partnership is for Pākehā and Māori. And so I think it will do him a, a a great favour, actually, if he can mm-hmm. bring in Winston Peters and Shane. Yeah,
1: it. not so much walker jumping as as tent pissing. Oh, stop it! Yes, um, yes. And I mean, Josie Russell, that the one on jumping is important. That is a thing. It's yeah. um, on the green uh, thing. Josie, didn't aren't many of the, several of the seats that Labor lost mm. really? We could we could blame the Labor the Green Party for that. I mean, they were very like Mount Albert, I'm wondering about um, well, sorry, Mount Roscoe. You know, there were some very significant seats where Labour might have expected to hold on but was kind of nibbled away by a rather large green vote.
2: Yes, I mean, I I think the Labour vote, and I mean, without looking at the statistics and analysis of it, which we don't really have yet, but, but, you know, if I look at my own family, which are, you know... Oh, a focus
1: group of one, great. A focus we group always do of one, that.
2: which is always um, highly accurate. Um,
1: three, I think. I, I
0: think it's <laughs> <Least> three.
2: Yeah, <laughs> they, 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 yeah. That's, there's more of them than that. There are a bunch of them. Um, I'm, I'm thinking my extended, you know, Finanga and family as well. And so half of them have voted Greens because they've gone. You know, the Labor Party should have had a well, uh, a wealth tax It should have been more, um, uh, you know, radical. And then the other half have gone for New Zealand first and gone. That's the traditional, you know old working-class Labour Party that looks like what I remember it looked like, talking about regional development, you know, about jobs, about, um, uh, you know, getting getting the nefs off the couch and into mm. work, all that stuff. So I think, um, yeah, you can – yes, there's a there's a factor there in some of those uh, seats, Mount Roscoe, Mount Albert, Wairarapa, um, um, West Coast, see, that the West Coast wow. is a really interesting seat for me because that, you know, I was on TV with Stu Nash and Napier's gone big time. Now, Stu Nash had a big <coughs> personal following. He had a lot of national voters voting for him. Um, you know, so he had that kind of cross-party appeal by kind of sounding like, you know, the Labor bloke from down the road that mm. you want to have a drink with, or rather, the Labor bloke from down the road who wants to have a drink with you.
0: You exactly.
2: <laughs> so Damien O'Connor has is, is cut from the same cloth in the sense that he had a a, a big personal um, support base in West Coast, um, in you know Tasman West Coast, and and you know that seat's gone. That tells me that that. That, um, you know, that sort of traditional base for labour is just evaporated and gone all over the place. Um, And that's a real problem for them, I think.
1: Bernard, what do you think about this idea of keeping, do you think Winston will be drawn in partly to keep him from um, crapping all over everybody? I think he won't be in cabinet, and I think the best um, model for what might
0: happen is the two thousand and five agreement that mm-hmm. Winston Peters in New Zealand first had with uh, Helen Clark's uh, Labour government, the last term of the of that Labour government, in which he was foreign minister, but a foreign minister outside cabinet, and so mm. he spent quite a bit of time taking potshots at at the government on various things. Um, taking his hats on and putting his hats off and having a good old crack. In the end, uh, he had to leave the government because of um, a donor funding scandal. And um, in the end, I think the government was, Labor was quite happy. He wasn't actually completely in the cabinet. Unlike Mm -hmm. in 2017 to 20, when he was in the cabinet and the deputy prime minister, I think Mm -hmm. to keep ACT happy, National will not want Winston in the cabinet. ACT will want to be in the cabinet. But I can see how they could give him the foreign minister's job, keep him outside the cabinet, give him something like racing, give Shane Jones, you know.
1: <laughs> you mean group. actually connect him to the people who fund him? Yeah. give, him, uh, give, him, that was, give that's, him, that's a brilliant bit of work. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um,
0: and then yeah. get Shane Jones, you know, give him provincial growth fund. I think they they actually, uh, New Zealand First called it the provincial infrastructure fund this time around. Mm. Um, and uh, version 2.0, Um, again, outside Cabinet, and then you you keep them close, but not close enough that they get in the way. And also New Zealand First doesn't want to be too close either. I mean, they've been through three electoral Mm. cycles where they have been connected to the government and blamed for it and been out for three years. And they may well want to get the baubles. Um, I remember Winston 78. You know, uh, after the next three years, he will have been... In politics for nearly fifty years, and mm. uh, and will be eighty one. Um, I think he quite likes being foreign minister. He's been foreign minister two times yeah. now, and there's a, quite a few people yeah. in MFAT who'd quite like him to be foreign minister too. Mm. So he's a good may well... I mean,
2: Yeah, I worked yeah. with him when I, you know, when I was working in the aid sector and you know, meet with him regularly, had ministerial meetings, and he's extremely constructive. Um, he's very popular in the Pacific, very liked by Pacific governments. Um, you know, he, he's he's somebody that MFAT will be pretty happy to he's have. He's probably a
1: lot better than Jerry Brownlee too, isn't he?
2: Well, I, I actually, I rate Jerry Brownlee too. I worked with him as well when he was minister. And, and, um, and I think some of his comments actually have been quite thoughtful about AUKUS mm-hmm. um, uh, during the campaign. He, he's, you know, he's been quite clear that um, he doesn't think national should just automatically sign up to AUKUS Pillar 2. This is something that, um, you know, Robert Patman Mm. um, has been advocating too, that we should think very carefully before looking like we're choosing a side. And actually, just on an aside on that, I've just been at ASEAN meetings in Malaysia and um, Bangkok, and Kuala Lumpur and Bangkok. And and we are seen, we have an advantage to, in compared to the Australians that we're seen as more independent than them mm-hmm. now and another small state that's not picking between the US and China. So, yeah, I think... So are, a, we make
1: it, are we making an actual prediction then, Winston Peters for Foreign Minister? Foreign minister?
2: I, I think Winston Peters for Foreign Minister and I think Shane, I know that Shane Jones, what, what he wants is energy. Um, so if they were going to hand out portfolios, I think they'd have to give them something. And then but he, he interesting
1: would or, or or that or some sort of national infrastructure or regional, one, perhaps. Yeah, or yeah. space minister. And Bernard, do, do, do you accept <laughs> that? Are you predicting Winston as foreign minister too? Is that a, are you prepared to hang your non-existent hat on that?
0: Yeah, I would um, hang my hat. This one here, actually, this, this is... Um, is it the one I gave you the other day? Yes, no, it's lovely, thank you. I, I would hang my hat on Winston's Racing Minister, for sure. That's uh-huh. a, that's like the the surest thing you've ever seen. But I think um, there's a good chance of Foreign Minister because it ticks quite a few boxes, both for New Zealand First, for National and for ACT. And I think the okay. other reason that there's a few people who might prefer Winston to Jerry is um, the other members of Five Eyes who may be quite um interested in how close and how pro china the national party has been yeah. in the last three or four years and the idea mm-hmm. that uh, the foreign minister is a little bit separated from that uh, winston Peters' um pivot to china more than let's three not years let ago now, winston was- take on
1: this entire bloody podcast so what, <laughs> is, what is what is what is what is what might act get
0: yeah, well, this is something that they are keen to get, They A, to get into Cabinet.
2: Has yeah. to, I mean, they'll yeah. be going for education big time. That's been the, you know, the, we think back to when ACT was last, uh, um, not, I mean, they were, they, what did David Seymour had, associate education? Associate did
0: education, he, yeah.
2: He, yeah, he introduced the charter schools, which then Labor cancelled in 2017. Um, and they've made a big Big um, push for education. I think that will be a big one. And and Brooke Van Velden. I mean, um, she's certainly. Yeah, I think she'll want something in a, with an economic portfolio. I mean, you know, whether that's something also in in regional development or something, I don't know. What do you think, Bernard? Yeah,
0: I think she's um, potentially a commerce minister.
2: Comments yeah,
0: and um, potentially some sort of associate finance minister. You're right. I think she wants to be in cabinet and getting mm. her her hands uh, up to the elbows in some of the okay, spending so what decisions. Are, what are
1: we going to What are we going to see then in the next? So, I'd, I'd like we, we we said we'd only do half an hour, but I think we're going to go a little longer. That I'd like to put this into two, two One is horse trading over the next few days, and how long you think it's going to take. Um. Where are the Greens going to go? Is there, any, is there any conception at all that the Greens could join a national led coalition?
2: I think if you look, I was actually doing a. Burn
1: it's a podcast. You can't just shake your head. You yeah. <laughs> no, no.
2: A radio th- RNZ thing with uh, Marima Davidson. She was in the studio as well. Um, and I, from what she was saying, I don't think there's any appetite from the likes of her as co-leader and her supporters to, to go into coalition or do what the Green what what the Greens have done before with Russell Norman where they had a, a sort of MOU confidence and supply agreement with John Key's National Party. Um, so I don't see that happening. I mean, that that was the extraordinary thing about last night. The Greens were behaving as if they'd won the election. Yeah, exactly. we were watching it and the tone was slightly um, uh, over the top and grating, you know, it was sort of almost screaming victory into the microphone, yes. rallying the troops. And, um, you know, so I think it was Paula Bennett who, who Came on air and said, "Has anyone told them they're not actually in government anymore? Like they no longer have a minister." Yeah, well, or- that's,
1: that's one of the oh, yeah. that's one of the reasons that I, I just wondered whether you might see a sufficient shift on the national side as well, or particularly about about green issues. What what about so? What about the next few days of, of horse trading? We've got the uh, by election coming up in, in Waikato. Mm. You you both seem to think that he he wants uh, a, a bigger margin than he can just get from having act. Well, we've got that,
2: two, two and a half weeks. I think I think that's right, Bernard, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Two and a half weeks until the special votes um, results come out. So, you know that that because there's quite a few seats there where there's a majority of you know maybe a hundred, maybe four hundred. That's you know that some of these seats could turn around. Um, uh, so I think that you know we're looking at at least the next three weeks of some horse trading going mm-hmm. on. Um, although I don't know, I mean, maybe maybe they'll come out with um, you know at least an announcement of some of the key portfolios in the meantime. I don't know. I mean, but but I think we're looking for it in the next few weeks.
1: You, you don't yeah. think he'll want to shut it down much much more quickly and get on with it, Josie? That's what I was wondering whether he whether he's actually prepared to be a bit bolder and get moving much faster.
2: Yeah, I mean, the problem with that though is that if New Zealand first. Um, come up and the, it, it, once you've done the specials and if, you know, National go, if they need New Zealand first. So at the moment, um, I mean, I haven't looked at the latest one, but it's it, it's right on the edge. I mean, they're like a one, two seat majority of seats. So, you know, if that, if that reduces, I mean, yes, they've got Port Waikato, but there's no um, guarantee that that even delivers a seat to National because you've got this big Māori Party overhang now where mm-hmm. they, you know, have only earned, um, what is it, Two point something of the of the vote, but they've, but they've four seats. So there's this. Yeah. So that that overhang will be distributed amongst all the parties according to where they sit now. Um, and then you've got the Port Waikato seat, which again doesn't. It, it most likely it'll deliver an extra seat to National, but there's a chance that it won't. You know, it, and and it's complicated. Um, mm. I'm sure Bernard, you know more about that than I do. But it might. I mean, the, so there's all these unknowns. So I think he's got to be careful. He's got to, If I was him, I would make a, a a principled decision that I'm going to I'm going to be inclusive rather than exclusive exclusive, and I'm going to include New Zealand first for political reasons, and mm-hmm. and you know bugger the numbers. Um, and if I if I was him, I would do that. I would do that quickly. I would I would start negotiating with Winston as well as ACT, um, regardless of the numbers, and I'd sort it out in the next you know ten days but they may wait for specials. Bernard, do you you concur? Yeah.
0: So there is an interesting period of the next couple of weeks while the specials are counted because typically what happens is that National loses one or two seats and Labor or the Greens gain one seat. Now, there is a, an analysis um, from the pointiest of pointy heads, Graeme Edgler, mm-hmm. at um, at publicaddress.net, uh, in which he estimates that um, National could lose two seats in the move to the specials. <coughs> Labor could gain one seat. And effectively, uh, the impact of the specials means that Te Pāte Māori's uh, overhang stops becoming an overhang. So the end result mm-hmm. is that... Uh, Effectively no change to the current situation, which is that national are not able to govern govern alone with ACT. They still need something with New Zealand first. But yeah. um, but that they that Port Waikato doesn't <laughs> push them right
1: over the edge. And, it, and so yeah. Bernard, just let me let me let me just ask you on that one. So the, the formula um, the or both of you, really. The idea that we discussed on on Friday night was was that you know what well, I raised um possibly ridiculously, but but based on um on uh, what that Ben Ben Thomas was saying, there's no prospect of a, a narrow labor greens um, Maori party.
2: no, and, and partly also because although you're right, Bernard, that the specials usually favour. Uh, labor rather than national. There is some analysis that, you know, there are a lot of overseas votes that usually would favor the left that may well swing towards other parties because there's a lot of people out there who are really pissed off still about lockdown and MIQ and not being able to get home. I mean, that's maybe, I don't know, that might be um, stretching it too far. But um, I, I, I think you know, that it could be that there's a, there's less of a benefit to the left than there is enough.
1: To, and there's enough to play with, both, again, both of you to avoid a second election. Is that right? Abs- absolutely. Oh, I don't absolutely. think
0: there's yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think there's a chance of a second election now. Um, the one thing to know about the specials is that there's about eighty thousand votes out of the five hundred and sixty-seven thousand specials to be counted, and eighty thousand are from overseas. So, I think mm. that um, the specials will reflect some of the grumpiness about Labour, I think you're right, and that the typical or the usual, you know, um, reversion to uh, a left um, uh, one or two seats in the special counting might not be so strong this, this time. So mm-hmm. the way I wrote it this morning is that I thought um, you'd see national uh, loser seat potentially to Labour and that... Um, National would then win a seat with Port Waikato, which means essentially they're not much better off, they're not worse off, and they'll still need New Zealand First because 61 seats, um, yeah, or 62 seats in a 122-seat parliament is not enough. And they, I think, even if even if um, they had 60. Three, I still think after you put someone in the speaker's chair, and that may well be Jerry Brownlee, um, then uh, you know there's always going to be something happen. And John Key was pretty clever at this. He yeah. he sort of he sort of uh, he took a belt and braces approach on this, which was yeah, I know I'm I'm over padding if you like, um, but something will happen, and it's always nice to have people inside the tent. And so I think he'll do something along the lines of. Yeah, Winston, um, keep out of my way, uh, I'll flick you a bill or two here for this provincial infrastructure fund. I like infrastructure too, and I like the regions um but yeah i, I don't want you messing around with me in cabinet, and I'm going to send you overseas as often as I possibly can <laughs> to get you out of my hair and um just quietly
1: if you're lucky, you might not come back so um so can I ask you both a couple of questions from the from the audience before we is, yeah, sure will you finished then Bernard? Bernard? Yeah, yeah sorry so um we, thanks very much for everybody. We have 177 people, which is a record oh, for great. us, on live, particularly for a, for a pop-up one. So we, we, I think we'll just stay on until we feel like giving up rather than <laughs> necessarily go at 6.30. But it's Just because time. I'm 5.30. Well, Thank just because I can from. see I can see that there's more out there. Um, who might be finance minister? Who will be finance minister?
2: Hmm. Well, obviously, Nicola Willis. Yeah, there's no way they're going to um, negotiate that way. I mean... And you know, look, she almost um, certainly the beginning of the evening. She looked like she might even win a hurry, a, a, and and win an electorate. Um, but yeah, I mean, you'd have to say uh, she's campaigned well. She's uh, you know managed to. I think I think the fiscal whole stuff hurt them, but she's you know she's managed to. I think in the debates, okay. with Grant Robertson, she did well. So I, th- I, I yeah, there's no way they're gonna give finance to anyone.
0: You too, Bernard? Yeah, I mean, to give finance to someone like um, David Seymour uh, would be completely disruptive and disastrous for National. Um, okay. That would be seen as Christopher Luxon giving in to ACT. ACT's performance on the night wasn't as spectacular as it might have looked three or four weeks ago. No.
2: and, and for Tummy. Yeah. I mean, winning that yeah. seat was... A yeah. Real,
1: um, uh, yeah. wasn't that Muldoon's seat? Shock.
2: Yes, Muldoon's seat, and and to you know to just to sort of mm. grab that. I mean, Brooke Van Velden, she looked like she couldn't hardly she could hardly believe it herself. Um, she was smiling from ear to ear. It, we'll, it was an extraordinary win for her. And,
1: and what about Chris Hipkins? Okay. A- apart from his new gay non-gay lover, <laughs> um, uh, is is Chris Hipkins going to make an, a leader of the opposition? Does he want it?
2: I think I think he do, I think he, at the moment. I mean, he says he's never thought he hasn't considered Plan B, but of course he has. And I don't think he. I mean, he's a professional politician. He's been in politics most of his professional life. He was in the ministers' offices before he was an MP. Um, it, it, it would be a massive kind of identity crisis for him not to be in politics. So I think he's going to be reluctant to walk away from the leadership. But the, the pressure might come on him. I mean, it is a. It, it's a. You know the second worst defeat uh, in in as many years. I think it's the. Um, looking at the statistics. It's the uh, lowest drop. I mean the the sort of fastest drop in polls since 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a and and to almost lose Mount Albert. They may still use, lose it, but um, you know, let alone Mount Roskill, let alone Rongatai, which was the seat of a net king. Mm. You know, these are massive psychological hits for them. Um, and the Māori seats, you know, I haven't heard, I don't know about you guys, but I've heard nothing from the Māori caucus, the Labour Māori caucus. Yeah.
1: Well, the Labour Māori caucus seems to be f- f- uh, moving as fast as it can to become the Te Pāti Māori, it seems to me. Yeah. Do, do you agree about this with, with Chris Hipkins? Uh, with Chris, Chris <laughs> Hipkins
0: is 45, mm. which is very young. And, um <laughs> He has, um, I think he's like a lot of the people who were running things for the last couple of years, particularly 2020 and 2021, a lot of people are still exhausted mm. and he may well want a break. Uh, he's gone through he was, a lot. Yeah. yeah. The other Been thing every has, since. Um, you know, there was that initial surge of enthusiasm when he first turned up in uh, in January and February. And then we had the bonfire of the policies. Then we had Michael Wood, Kerry Alan, Mecca Faiteri. He really was fighting fires ever since. And I think his decision well, to I, make I the captain's think, call. I mean, to, I mean, we've lost
1: look, your um, We've lost your audio completely. It, yeah, you've gone silent, which is it's, which again doesn't work in podcasts. It's unusual, but. yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm com- just
2: going to. I've written a column about this um, for tomorrow, and. and uh, yeah, I, I think you're right, Bernard, in January when he first came in, there was a huge kind of sense of goodwill towards him, not just from sort of traditional Labor supporters but others as well. I think he had the opportunity then to be the change candidate if rather, rather than the continuity candidate from Jacinda. Mm. Mm. And, and if he had actually backed himself on that policy bonfire and chucked a whole bunch of other stuff on it as well, um, then he would have looked like change, but in yes. the end, he looked like continuous. I, I
1: kept wondering that last night, looking at the green vote and and being mm. in a room with young people, um, which I seldom am, and you know that the, the, that seemed potentially to be a a disappointment at the end of a wealth tax and all of those all of those other things. Yeah. Now somebody's complaining that we're talking too much about the bloody people and this and not enough about the about the policies. Um, what do we think about policies of the first, you know, ninety days to first three months of a first first year of a lab, of a national led government? Are we, you know, what's it going to be? Climate? Where's climate going to go? Where's the ETS going to go? You think, um, Kaiyngora might go, Bernard?
0: Well, one of the first things I'm going to do is run out and buy an electric car before the um, before the, the, well, the,
1: subs- the yes. gets killed.
0: Um, all I suspect what will happen is that the few that have been imported, the price will go up. Um, uh, I'll uh, I think that they will carry through on their promises to repeal uh interest deductibility to change the bright line test to repeal three waters they want to do that as fast as they can to make sure there isn't any embedding of um the the work that's being done make it too hard to demolish yeah yep i think they will repeal the rma and i think partly there'll be some really interesting discussions with councils about how it's done and uh because again that's only just come in and may not be embedded yet And also, New Zealand First wants to get rid of the RMA as well. I think Mm -hmm. they'll also – one of the interesting points on policy that I still think is up for grabs is what happens to the foreign buyers' tax. So, in theory, New Zealand First should be dead against anything which allows foreigners to buy properties, whether they're $2 million or $10 million or $1 million. But – when you, I had a cl- good look at his manifesto again this morning. I probably should have looked at it a lot harder <laughs> before the election. Mm. But, um, New Zealand First says nothing about the foreign buyers tax, uh, or you know, keeping the current ban on foreign buyers. And when Winston was asked about this about uh, three weeks ago, he said, I'm, uh, I'm open to this idea of you know, taxing the foreign buyers. Mm. Um, you know, he that's in tune with the whole New Zealand first punish the foreigners thing. Well, let's punish them with but Let them in, yeah. yeah, and I think that'll be an interesting point in negotiation for Winston because he knows it's really important for Nationals' tax policy to get some revenue in. There was obviously a debate about how much revenue would come in. And I think one of the, the um, uh, wildcards here is that Winston says, yeah, two million. Why not make it, you know, one million and double the tax or something like that and um uh that would um put the cat amongst the pigeons as well because as we say as we say yeah and there will be there will be something when 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 we see that um uh governing arrangements uh document we'll all go through it with a fine tooth comb because there will be surprises he mm-hmm. has received yeah. an awful lot of money from an awful
1: lot of very and, wealthy people. Um, Josie, he's gone, he's gone silent so, again. What yeah, do you think will happen with the are, have health been Authority? and, when and he somebody's was asking last also about government. Sorry, Bernard, you yeah. went silent, so I interrupted yeah. you to move right. to Josie for a sec.
2: Well, I think um, what, I remember one of the comments through the campaign was, and actually, one of yeah, the sort of narrative from Labor was that this is going to be the most right-wing. Hmm government ever, you know, in, in our lifetime. And I don't think voters really bought that. And when you look at the policies, actually what you've got is a pretty traditional, and I think we've talked about this before, pretty traditional left-right divide, right? Mm-hmm. So you talk about the climate climate policies, I mean, you've got um, a sort of commitment to the ETS and the idea of pricing <laughs> carbon as the best way of, of reducing emissions versus the left, which is yeah. about changing behaviour, you know, using subsidies to incentivize people to do the right thing and and, you know, disincentivising doing the wrong thing. So this 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 idea of of and partly I think that's one of the problems Labor's had is that it's not a particularly winning, you know approach when it comes to elections to say you know we're going to um, we, we're going to punish the, the 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 bad carbon behavior of the voters you know it might be the right thing to do you guys might think it's the right thing to do but it's not necessarily a, a, mm. a winning um, a, um, strategy so you have seen a, a real difference there between pricing carbon to versus changing behavior on the left you've got um, and I think what you'll see is a lot of things that they say they're going to get rid of Three Waters. Um, I think you're right, the RMA, Bernard, um, the Māori Health Authority. But what they'll do um, is, is that they'll kind of, they'll rename things and there won't be as much change as you think, right? So I think mm-hmm. the RMA and, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I have not read the whole a thousand War and Peace pages of the RMA. But It's all think going to be the, war now. Yeah, they'll, the yeah. They'll, they'll they'll rename parts of it, and it will look pretty much the same, except there'll be some some changes um, around, you, you know. The ha- how that balance between, you know, protecting certain protecting areas and where you have loose loose areas for planning. So I think it'll be a little bit like TPP, mm-hmm. where, you know, Labour came in and said, we will not sign the TPP. Oh, we'll rename it the CPTPP. And it turns out that I think there's only, you know, a, a, a few articles that are any different at all. It's basically the same. And, <laughs> Burnham,
1: do you think, it's the, is the ETS the main thing on the, on the, on the climate that's going to change or that's going to be turbocharged, as it were? I mean, I quite like the idea uh, of think- turbocharging and environmental policy, but there you yeah, go. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um no the, the, the issue will be getting rid of the Ute tax so to speak. Um and, and this yeah. is and this is you know this isn't actually an election which car drivers won. <clears throat> this is clearly the election where cyclists lost and it was Middle New Zealand standing up and saying no more with this woke cycling muck I want my car park. You can't tax me for my Ute. Get back in your box. This is the real New Zealand. And um, National were very upfront in in saying, you know, Labour's and the the Labor Green war on cars has to stop. Um, New Zealand versus for Act was even more aggressive. Interesting. And they, I haven't seen one, it described
1: that wait, way what? elsewhere, Bernard. I don't see. Yeah, I haven't I, seen I, anybody I, else I, talk I, about I, the I, Swedish and UK connection.
2: So um. I think, let, let me just remind you, though, because that does, I, I mean, I, I think there's a danger of that sounding a little bit um, like you're kind of sneering at, you know, people who don't want to pay the ute tax. Um, if you if you we- look at what Keir Starmer has done in the UK <laughs> and others, and, and again, I think we've talked about this, that that, that they've wrecked the left in other countries, has recognised that it's losing the social licence for climate policy, and so rather than going, mm. it rather than being cynical about that, they're going. Well, we've got it. We've we've got to embed climate policy in a bigger vision about making people better off, and mm. so therefore you've got Keir Starmer talking about you know um, the axis of instability, uh, which includes the climate war in Ukraine, you know now Hamas and Israel, um, and, and it also includes jobs and job security and cost of living right so so it's it's it it's no longer talking about climate change but talking about economic change mm. and, and talking about new jobs rather than green jobs because what working class people hear when you say green jobs is that they're going to lose their job so right. I, I don't think it, I, I don't think you need to be i mean i'm not i'm not talking about national here i'm talking about the challenge for for those on the those of us on the center left where i think There's a way of going, well, actually, you know, the ULE's um, 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 ultra-low admissions charge in Uxbridge in the UK was a real wake-up for the Labor Party, that, um, yeah, you can keep pushing this policy through, but you're going to lose elections. So maybe you've got to go, why is that happening? Is there another way of convincing voters that 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 we we need to do this climate?
0: I think you're right. That'll be one of the sort of key debates on the left is how they reframe the discussions yeah. around climate mm-hmm. away from we're going to punish ute drivers to we're going to um, give everyone cheaper cars and mm. we're going to make the cost of yeah. living much Josie, lower. The,
1: but Bernard's gone quiet again, which is I, I, I promise you I don't have a button that I just make him go quiet. But <laughs> um, one that really concerns me when I, I actually quite like the idea of a button, and I know Mrs Hickey would quite like a, uh, a button like that as well. Um, Josie and Bernard, the... Australians today voted against um, giving Indigenous people a voice. Um, it seems like it was a victory for populism. It seems like it was a victory for misinformation. Um, ACT has said it wants a um, referendum on the Treaty of Waitangi. What do we take from that?
2: A referendum on the Treaty of Waitangi is an appallingly bad idea. Um, and I think, uh, uh, um, you know, Christopher Luxon said last night in in his speech, um, you know, New Zealanders have voted for hope and change and unity <laughs> and you know, togetherness and kumbaya. Um, so he better deliver on that. And, and I think um, part of that will be you know, basically telling ACT to, to, you know, get back in their box about this stuff. That doesn't mean... But they've that they've said it's like, a
1: bottom line to a coalition, haven't they? Haven't they? You know, he's... he's uh, David Seymour's really insisted that it be yes, in that. Yes,
2: there might be a way of doing... A, a, there might be a way of convincing ACT that um, we're, we're going to have a, a, you know, a national conversation about... Um, the benefits, or you know, the 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 difference between devolution, for example, and co-governance, mm. and which one suits us best, and what does it mean? And the thing that national can't get away from is that we do have a contract, we have a treaty. Absolutely.
1: Well, this is a point um, one of our one of our lovely <laughs> listeners, Patrick Clark, made that point, which we talked about yeah, before. You, you know, can't you can't reopen a treat. I mean, and thank God we've got that treaty. You know, yeah, no. God we've got that as a as a as a sort of negotiating point as a as a point of difference and collaboration because you know that that thing in Australia is pretty ugly. For, well, you know, think- political failure by Labor, perhaps, but a very ugly situation.
2: Yeah, it is. You're right, Peter. And, and and before we get onto the voice, I mean, just on the treaty, I think the the way forward for National is to say this is yeah you know, we. we this treaty belongs to all of us, you know, to Pākehā and Māori, and we have to try and it has to be our Magna Carta, our Bastille Day, you know, it has to somehow start to, if, if they can find a way to have a national kind of conversation where we get to, where people can express their concerns about the democratic license for mm. stuff um, without being called a racist, and 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 if we can, if they can commit to doing that without doing a referendum on the treaty, I think it'll be a really
1: good thing. I think you should In- lead that actually, Josie. I think we should. I think we should initiate that <laughs> as one of the Kaka things that Josie Pagani, you know, becomes the the sort of convener. Of a national yeah. conversation, we had Max Rashbrook on the other day talking about representative democracy, because I think He's you're right. right. That was that was in fact what was missing yeah. with Hey Puapua and the progress, yeah. the speed of um, the idea of co governance. Governance it just wasn't being well enough explained and understood, and taking people on that journey, as it were. Bernard, are you back yeah. with us?
0: Yes, I am, and I've been enjoying the the discussion. I think you're right, Josie. That national will not want to go anywhere near a referendum and i think they'll be able to calm act down and throw them a bone by killing three waters and and talking a lot about how you know the co-governance was was going rogue and we've shut it down to in and this is no longer a story um because actually, National have a pretty good record when it comes over the last couple of decades mm. to mm. bringing in these types of co-governance Absolutely. arrangements. I exactly. suspect the actual the actual phrase co-governance will be um, one of those TPP. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, uh, it'll be the CP. Co-governance, or <laughs>
1: co-governance.
0: yeah, no, no. Yeah. I mean, what, what, it'll be like one of those phrases in the government spell checker that whenever you write the phrase co-governance, it will rewrite it for you. Yes, you with know, yeah. be, be someone in DPMC or Treasury or MB or um, it'll
1: probably be called uh, the kiwi the kiwi contract with both worlds words spelt with a K.
2: Actually, that's quite a good topic. Like the words that will now be deleted. Uh, well-being, yeah. circular yeah, yeah. economy. um yeah, yeah, governance. <laughs> They're all going to be TPP'd.
1: Um, yeah, what, yeah. what about, um, so, Bernard, I, I, I sort of was trying to do a segue in there using the voice vote as uh, an issue about populism. Where does, this <clears throat> one of our, you know, lovely listeners also is asking us, where does this leave the rise or retention of populism as a factor in New Zealand?
0: Well, one of the good things about this election is that um, none of the more extreme populists uh, got yes. into Parliament. And I think what actually happened in that last three or four weeks was a bunch of people, A, saw that their vote wouldn't be wasted if they um, threw it in with Winston, because Winston was going to be part of a government of some sort. B, they could see that their votes with. um you know, Loyal NZ and New Zealand and Democracy NZ and however many other one-leader parties there mm. were, um, were, were going to be wasted if they didn't get behind someone. And Winston had said the things that they liked hearing, and mm-hmm. so they put their vote with him. And I think that's two or three percentage points of Winston's um, 6% or so that he got in the end. Um, now, you, can, you could debate with... Uh, Christopher Luxon, whether that decision to open the door um, lifted Winston over 5%. Uh, it certainly means that um, National have a very clear path to governing when they might have had, might not have had if they ruled it out, ruled out Winston. Um, but certainly, you know, this, I think, I hope, ends these various. Um, one percenter parties, mm-hmm. uh, and the other
1: thing is, of course, um but they're in it for yeah. they're in it for them, Bernard, not you. Uh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right.
2: In, it, in it yeah, yeah, in it in for it, you, not. And, cat- Josie, what do, what do you yeah. think
1: about this from a populist point of view? And then I, I want to b- ask you both a question, a sort of media question, please.
2: I, I think, um, Bernice, you've, you, you're spot on. And actually, that's one, well, of, the, one of the good things about this election. You're absolutely right that all those parties, they got like 0.2 or 0.0 something or other. Um, but it is still the case that the National National and Labor vote was um, record low, right? If you combine the two of them, it's still around about, I don't know, 65%, right? Which is... So what? Um, at the moment, National's on about thirty-eight, I think, and Labor was on twenty-six. So, you know, it's still pretty low. N- neither party really. I mean, National could, can't say that it. You know, it 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 sort of um, managed to to win over. Blow the you know, doors most- off. Mm. It just didn't, yeah, and and it, and it. We watched its vote. You know, it's first of all, it started the evening at about forty two percent, and it just kept going down and down, and it got ended up on about thirty eight. I think. I, I
1: guess we could say that the arsehole vote found its natural home in Winston.
2: Oh, I think that's too unfair, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I mean, I think because a lot of, as I say, I know a lot of my family who, you know, see New Zealand. They sort of. Gravitated to New Zealand First as not the anti vaxxer, mm. you know, conspiracy theory party. But I think, Bernard, you're absolutely right that it did sweep up and that really helped it. And it did, mm. it flirted right on the edge of that stuff, which mm. was pretty mm. uncomfortable to watch. We're but, still getting
1: some excellent questions coming in, by the way. Carry on. Sorry. Most, most
2: of its vote, you know, most of its vote <laughs> was um, Labour voters, I think, wanting to make sure that they designed um a, a national government and put a put put a party in there that was going to be a bit of a break on act i think there was um plus contradictorily counterintuitively some of that new zealand first vote was some of the act vote slipping away to new zealand first because they're going oh i'm a bit pissed off with david seymour having tantrums and threatening to uh, yeah. hold the next government to to ransom i'm very so, much yeah. like
1: the idea of a new word contradictorily though but I'm, that, one's, that one's going to be coming into our... I've had okay. four
2: hours sleep. You're lucky I've oh, only made no. up. No, no, it's good.
1: brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, mm. What about the media? So how do we how do we reflect? I, I thought, thinking about this last night, in fact, I dropped a note to somebody from there, that RNZ had probably had quite a good election. The longer interviews that they did with the leaders seemed quite good. I was really struck by the work that they did in the last week, um, going around talking to people about the to doctors in um, heavily Maori areas and rural areas about the about the Maori Health Authority. That's just one that I picked up on. What what do you think about the media's coverage over the election? And then I'm gonna ask you who do we watch in the next couple of weeks who's who's got the best take on where it's gonna go, apart from Bernard Hickey.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I I'm, I'm interested to what Verna's got to say about that. I think it's been really interesting, and in that some of the best debates and some of the best conversations, and I include you guys in this, you know that that have happened outside of the mainstream media, and and Sorry, a lot we these- are
1: we are mainstream media. <laughs>
2: right, right. No, you, you, you guys are fringe. You're populists um, on the right, on the right side. Po- we used to be the populists on the left. I just want to put that on the table. And it's like if you yeah. think about civil rights movement, the women's vote movement, the, um, uh, yeah, we we were the populists. So populism shouldn't be a dirty word. But um, I, I, yeah, I think that in the mainstream media, in during election campaigns, I always find that it just gets into the horse race stuff. Yeah. And it stays there and and actually that gets kind of boring after a while and, um, you know, and and I think people sort of switch off from that. What what I think has been missing is a kind of analysis, a a New Zealand-based analysis of looking at the big global trends that we're seeing Mm. on the left and the right and how we fit into that and – you know, I, th- I still think there's a lot of room for that, but I think it's happened on the edges of the mainstream media, and that's been really good. There's many, so, many platforms. But Bernard, now.
1: what do you think? Apart from apart from the necessity of subscribing to the kaka? who's who's had a good election from a media point of view?
0: Yeah, I'm um, I'm always a fan of Newsroom um, as a for, former co-founder and. Partial shelter. Uh, I think they've done a really good job in this last term, actually, in and going deep. Uh, you know, Joe and Sam and Mark and and uh, um, uh, uh, Mark and um, and um, and also Tim have done a fantastic job of um, holding some people to account, going deep when was necessary. Uh, I also enjoyed RNZ. I I. Um, I sometimes wish we could have Kim Hill doing all the interviews all the time.
1: Mm.
0: Um, And it's interesting that she's she's going Uh, for me. The star of the election campaign was Jack Tame with his um, probing deliberate interviews. And um, I uh, think he's done a great job of, you know, putting Q&A on the on the map even more than it was before. Um, I'm I've been disappointed, to be frank, with both of the newspaper groups, the the big Mm -hmm. newspaper groups, stuff in NZ Herald in that uh, I don't think they captured the mood or shifted the direction of the debate in in many ways, in ways that newspapers can and have in the past. Um, And also uh, I worry uh, in particular stuff has um, uh, downgraded and dismantled some of its uh, more long-form investigator. Apart from Josie's column,
1: teams. of course.
2: Well, and- no, I agree with that because I think I, I can't really work out what, what's happening. All I know is that all the opinion has gone onto the Post's website, and I understand why. I, I do get why they're doing that. It's the it, they've got to have some kind of um, paywall, so that. But rather than doing what the Herald does, which is you can see that there's a column mm. there or an opinion piece, and it's behind the paywall. You know, so you know it's there, but you know it's an yeah. incentive.
1: As, to- as a former consultant, there I, I know nothing. Um- uh- <laughs> so I, I saw for, thinking, thinking about the next couple of weeks. I saw Matthew Houghton doing what looked like an absolutely incredible reverse ferret and rowing back in the Herald today to, to make himself relevant to somebody Luxon that he's shat over most of the campaign. Who do we who do we look at for insights in the next few weeks?
2: Um well actually, I was going to say one of the thing, one of the outlets that I think should be um named as doing really good in-depth work and analysis is Business Desk as well and Patrick Smelly in particular um you know I mean there there are, certain, there, are and there, there are a few on Business Desk actually which have done some really good kind of you know journalistic analysis and research and kind of um insightful um, thoughts about it. A- and actually, I mean, I'm I mentioned these guys, taxpayers union, mm-hmm. don't agree with most of what they say, but I think that their model has been really good in this campaign and that they've hosted debates, they've they've done surveys of electorates, they've done they've created new data and, and evidence and they've driven, in many cases they've driven the debate.
1: Interesting. And um, Thomas Kramer? Thomas Kramer as well, do you think in that? Do you include him yeah. in that? As people, as people you fundamentally disagree with, but who, because he's actually inserted. I mean, he's irritating, but he's inserted himself (laughs) quite quite effectively.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, I I always favour people who've got, you know, who who are prepared to put some. You know, sweat and blood on the table, and have an opinion and back it up with evidence, and then you know, change their minds if they if they.
1: So, Bernard, what, what about you looking forward? I I am amused that um Josie um because I'm you know I'm a member of the Patrick Smelly fan club and have been for mm. forty years or so. But I, who is the new Colin James other than Colin James, Bernard? Apart from you and Patrick, actually.
2: Oh, Bernard and Patrick, I would say. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, I've worked with. Patrick as well,
0: and, and a big, big fan.
1: I, um, who is the new colleague? Well, we, go in the next three weeks, three weeks to a month, to try and have insight into what National is doing. Because, like I say, I think I think Houghton might have been that person, but I'm not sure anybody in National is going to talk to him again. Are they? Uh, I think
2: Thomas Mensch, um, uh, Luke Malpas, mm-hmm. I think I think they will. Um, There's the a. You know, a few a few writers out there who I think have got their ear to the ground and will be the ones to watch in terms of trying to work out. You know, read the tea leaves of what's happening mm-hmm. um, in the next few days and weeks. Yeah,
0: but, uh, I th- I think the the task in the next three to six or nine years is to hold uh, national act to. To their um, promises and to challenge them on whether they're achieving them, because remember they came, they've come into power promising to uh, reduce the cost of living, to uh, make it easier to you know start a family and have a home, to uh, achieve our our emissions targets, and to have a uh, faster growing economy where people are better off. More productivity. And <laughs> yeah, um, uh, and w- our job, and I'm sure there'll be many in the press gallery and elsewhere, will be to examine everything they do in detail, um, check it against what they promised, and um,
1: nail them to the wall on it. What a good uh, mission! Uh, ben, that- what a good <laughs> mission statement, Bernard. Sorry, Josie. Go, I'm I'm trying to shut this thing down, so we're not doing it until fucking ten o'clock at night. No, Carry no. no just
2: one thing I feel like I should say because not should say, and I again, I um I I think Mike Hosking on ZB is one of the best broadcasters in the country. He and does again, too, actually. I, I, yeah. Yes, he does. That's very good, Peter. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I do, I, I do every week, I do Heather Heather Duplessis-Allen and do the huddle. And I think, it, you know, it's entertaining. It, it's informed. You can passionately disagree with it. Um, and she'll engage with you. And so will Mike. I, and, and I think there's a tendency, you know, on the left, we just think, oh, you should sign petitions to, to get Mike Hosking off the airwaves. You know, yeah. that's just silly.
1: So can I just say I that think, I think we should wind it up shortly. So I think, um, thank you so much for that. And thank you for everybody who's taken part. I think we all, it shows, Bernard, that you're filling an incredibly important gap and that we, when you have people on like Josie who are subtle, thoughtful, sort of, you know, you, you don't necessarily know, but she's sort of consider, considered across the across the bench. Um, people really appreciate it. I, I, it's, it's been great to get everybody's yeah. um, feedback. Thank think- you. I think we should also just—we'll do international affairs when we get to Friday. But I think the next forty-eight hours, twenty-four hours, are going to be extremely bleak in Gaza, mm. uh, yeah. and I don't believe that Netanyahu is up for the challenge of the potential benefit of being able to take this the right direction. I thoroughly recommend to people, if they haven't seen it already, um, uh, Yuval Noah Hariri, Harari, the author of Sapiens and the other books, mm. interviewed today with uh, on The Rest is Politics by Alistair Campbell and uh, Rory oh. Stewart. It's one of the most passionate, almost beautiful interviews because he's clearly incredibly upset about what's happened. But he also gives you a sense of history and a sense of potential direction. And I think while we're all feeling a bit depressed about this, um, that might be quite a good thing to recommend. So I'll finish with a tiny skateboarding dog, which is a headline that I meant to put in on Friday, which people may know that Birkenstock... The, uh, the 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 cho- choice of everybody who lives on Waiheke. Um, I haven't got the a sandal- pair, yet. I'll have to get a no, pair. exactly. Well, I know somebody who's got about ten up the road, and she'll she'll lend you one, lend you a pair. But uh, you may know that it had its IPO last week, and I, the uh, an Australian site, Capital Brief, had my favourite headline of the week, which was Birkenstock Inve- and Birkenstock investors get cold feet. <laughs> But, um, thank you so much, everybody. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Oh, um, you. Gary, it's on, it's on um, the Rest is Politics podcast. The Rest is Politics. See you. I'll I'll put a link into the Thanks, um, it's course bloody It's bloody okay. fantastic. I've got, I've got about 50 others I've been listening to. My headphones have barely been off. I've got cauliflower ears from listening to podcasts. <laughs> See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Bye-bye.